You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come now to Your Word with great expectation that we might learn from You. We thank You that the Spirit of God takes Your Word and applies it to our heart, convicts us and encourages us and exhorts us and rebukes us. And we pray, O Lord God, that you would do that today to your glory and honor. Speak to us now through your Spirit. Help us to hear, to speak, and to understand those things that you would have for us today in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to get right into our text and our passage this morning because Philippians chapter 3, I've got about 10 messages that I've sort of condensed down into one message. And so we've, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I don't want to take any time This is a very essential passage of Scripture that is before us. This strikes at the very heart of what the gospel is and what the gospel means and how we appropriate the gospel. And so we want to make sure that we understand what we're dealing with. And there's a lot of things that sort of come into the mix in Philippians chapter 3. And um, this, I think, is an essential passage of Scripture because if you can get down the, the point and the meaning and the substance of Philippians 3... Verse 9, if you can understand the doctrine that we're going to talk about this morning, then it will go a long way toward preserving you from falling into all sorts of false doctrine and all sorts of error. Because every cult and every non-Christian religion on the face of the earth gets this one thing wrong. And if you get nailed down in your mind and in your heart and you understand what it means to be justified by faith and faith alone, then that will steal your heart, it will, it will build a barrier around you that will help you to ward off all types of false doctrine and false thinking. So I'm excited this morning because we get to cover three very fun and very important words. We're going to talk about justification and sanctification and imputation. Does that sound exciting? Some of you are excited. Others of you are saying, when did we start speaking in tongues in this church? What do those words mean? I've never heard those words before. I have no idea what you're talking about. By the grace of God, hopefully, by the end of today, you're going to understand what all of those words mean and what the implications of those doctrines are to your Christian life. Very important things. Philippians chapter 3. We are looking at Philippians 3, 9. We got halfway through last week, and we basically looked at two points, two main ideas, two central truths. Number one, that there are two types of righteousness, human righteousness and divine righteousness. The second essential truth was this. Human righteousness is inadequate to save us. It cannot save us because what God demands is not human righteousness. What God demands of us is His righteousness, divine righteousness, perfect righteousness. 
And our righteousness is no more able to save us than we can take monopoly money and go buy a house with it. Our goodness, our righteousness is of no value in the sight of God or in heaven whatsoever. So see, we have a righteousness problem. What is our problem? Our problem is that we have no righteousness. We have none of the righteousness that God demands of us. We lack righteousness and God demands righteousness and so we have that problem. But what is the solution? The solution comes in the gospel of righteousness. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ in which the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that righteousness is provided for us. We have righteousness because of what is in the gospel and what the gospel means. So Philippians 3 verse 9, we are going to stand before Christ not having a righteousness that is our own, that's human righteousness, a righteousness that is derived from the law or from our moralism or from our piety or from our heredity or from our good deeds or from our acts of Christian service or anything else that we could put faith in or trust in. But instead, Paul says, we need to have a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now here's the first of those three very fun, important words. Before we get into the text, I want to introduce a couple of concepts for you. The first one is this. It's justification. When I say justification, some of you are probably thinking, oh Jim, that's a very long, theological, scary word. It is a long, and it is a theological word, but it's not scary. Justification simply means to be put right with God. To be justified or to be just is to be made righteous. It is to be put right with God. It is to have my accounts settled, to be declared righteous in the sight of God. The New Testament speaks of justification. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, We're justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.26 God, because of what Jesus did, can be just and the justifier of the one who places their faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4, verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something about which to boast before God. But Scripture says Abraham was not justified, that is declared righteous by his works, he was justified or put right with God on the basis of faith. That's what Romans chapter 4 is about. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to Galatians 2.16. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Galatians. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see all the references to justification? When you read through the New Testament and you read the word justification, in your mind you should have this idea. Justification, being just and being justified means to be put right with God. To be declared righteous, to be made righteous. In fact, the word justification in the New Testament comes from a family of Greek words. Diakao, diakot, dikaios, sorry, that's it. Dikaios, dikaio, and dikaiosune. All of those family of words has to do with righteousness, righteous, just, justification, and justified. Now whether you translate it justified or righteous depends on the context. But the idea of righteousness and being made right in the sight of somebody is what is contained in the idea of justification. Now how am I justified before God? How am I made right or put right with God? Is my justification and my rightness 
something that I earn? Is it something that I merit? Is there anything that I do that warrants it or demands it or deserves it? Does it come by the works of the law? Can I create my own divine righteousness through obedience? Yes or no? You can't. You cannot manufacture divine righteousness. You cannot acquire it on your own. There's no amount of obedience that will make you as righteous as Jesus Christ. You are unable to make yourself righteous. So how does God give me divine righteousness? Here's the second important word and concept. Through imputation. It is imputed to me. Scripture uses the word imputation. It uses the word reckoned or credited. To have something imputed to you simply means to have something credited to your account and then to treat you accordingly. If the bank imputed a million dollars to me, they would simply credit my account with a million dollars and then they would treat me like a millionaire. And I could act like a millionaire and spend like a millionaire because they gave me a million dollars. That's what imputation is in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, and Abraham is our example, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Through Abraham's belief, God took righteousness and He imputed it or He credited it to Abraham's account and then God treated Abraham as if he were righteous. That's what imputation is. So in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, But to the one who does not work but believes in Him, that is God, who justifies the ungodly. Is it the godly who are justified? Is it those who make themselves righteous who are justified, who clean up their lives that are justified? No. The Bible says that God declares righteous the ungodly. Now, I'm not going to speak for you, but I can speak for me. I will tell you something. When I was declared righteous in the sight of God, I was as ungodly as I think I could have ever been. I was an ungodly, wicked, wretched sinner. Declared righteous in the sight of God. He justifies the ungodly. Listen to Romans 4. His faith, the one who believes in Jesus, his faith is credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes David in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or credit his sin, but instead credits to him righteousness. Isn't that what we need? We need to have our sins not credited to us, but instead have credited to our account righteousness. And that brings us to Philippians chapter 3. We want to stand before God, and if we stand before God, we will stand before God in Christ, not having a righteousness that is our own derived from the law, but listen, a righteousness which is through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ from God by faith. A righteousness that must be credited to my account. And it's not a righteousness I can earn and it's not a righteousness I can create. It is an alien righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It's somebody else's righteousness. What do we mean by that? Paul describes the righteousness, divine righteousness, in three different ways. First of all, he explains the basis of it. It is through the faith of Christ Jesus, or faith in Christ Jesus. Second, he describes the source of it. It comes from God. And then third, he describes the means by which we appropriate it. And that is faith. So let's deal with each one of those in turn. First, the, the, uh, 
the source of it, or the basis of it, I should say, the basis of our righteousness is through the faith of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 9. We're going to stand in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Now, there's a little bit of a translation issue. If you have the King James Version sitting in your lap, you'll notice that it says through the faith of Christ. Through the faith of Christ and not faith in Christ. The NASB says in Christ. Here's the translation issue. That phrase, through faith in or of, depending on your translation, Christ is a subjective genitive in the Greek, indicating he uses a subjective genitive to speak of something that belongs to somebody else. That is to say that the faith spoken of, which could be translated faithfulness or fidelity, belongs to Christ. So if you allow the subjective genitive to be translated as a subjective genitive, then we would say it is through the faithfulness or the fidelity, or you might even say obedience, of Jesus Christ. It's not speaking of our faith in Christ, but that faithfulness that is through Him. In other words, it's Christ's faithfulness. That is to say that I am put right with God, not on the basis of my obedience, my faithfulness, my fidelity, but on the basis of the faithfulness and the obedience of somebody else. That's Jesus Christ. Now, if that's what Paul's saying, if by the subjective genitive the Apostle Paul means the faithfulness of Christ, then what he is alluding to is something that he expands, spends an entire chapter unfolding in Romans chapter 5, and that is that it is the obedience of Jesus Christ which brings me my righteousness. Do you understand that from Romans 5? It is His obedience Through the one man's act of obedience, the many were made righteous. My righteousness is through the obedience of Jesus Christ. Not my own obedience to the law. Not my own obedience to any moral standard. Not my own obedience to anything. It's through the obedience of Jesus Christ. Through His faithfulness to do all of the Father's will. And remember, the Apostle Paul has already spoken of the obedience of the Lord in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That obedience, Christ's obedience to the Father, is what purchased my redemption and provides me with my righteousness. Now this introduces us to something very important. I want you to catch this. The righteousness that you are credited is not just the innocence of Jesus. The righteousness that you are credited is the obedience of Jesus. Now let me illustrate this. To fulfill the law the way the law was given, to fulfill the law does not mean just that you abstain from murder. To fulfill the law means that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength all day long and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just that you abstain from sinning, but fulfilling the law means that you actually do all that the law enjoins and all that the law demands and that you actually do righteous deeds and righteous acts with the right motive. So what is imputed to me in Christ is not just lack of condemnation. It's not just that my sins are forgiven. What is given to me in Christ is all of His righteousness, listen, that includes His obedience. So that because of my union with Christ and my position in Christ, the Father sees me not just as somebody who has never sinned, the Father sees me as somebody who has obeyed the law positively and done all of the righteous things that Christ has done. He sees all of Christ's obedience in every way as my obedience. Do you understand that? It's not just that God doesn't have grounds to condemn me anymore. 
It is that He actually has a positive reason to treat me with favor. Because He sees in me, because of Christ, not because of Jim, He sees in me all of the obedience and the righteousness that Jesus Christ had and has and is. All of that obedience is mine. Second, that's the basis of our justification. Second, notice the source of our justification. It is from God. It is a righteousness which comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and it is a righteousness which comes from God. That sets it apart from human righteousness. We're not talking about, we're talking about divine righteousness here. My human righteousness comes from the things that I do. I can look and appear very righteous to you, and I can heap up a lot of human good deeds and a lot of human righteousness, but the righteousness that we are given comes from God. Listen, do you understand that the righteousness that God requires of you, He is righteously required to require from you? Because God is righteous, He cannot be satisfied with human righteousness. Because God is righteous, He has to require of you, He is required to require of you, His righteousness. He can't be satisfied with human righteousness. So Augustine said, Lord, you can ask what you want, but just give me what you ask. Demand from me what you will, but provide for me what you demand from me. And that's what God does. The righteousness that God provides for us is the righteousness that He righteously demands of us. And so He demands it of us, and then He says, I'll give it to you. I will provide it for you. That's why Paul says it comes from God. It's not something I earn or create or manufacture or gin up. It has to come to me from God. It's a righteousness which comes from God. And then third, I want you to look at the the means of it. It is a righteousness which comes through faith. It's through faith, which is in opposition to human works. There's nothing I can work for. There's nothing I can do to earn it. I can't obey the law. It comes through faith. Romans chapter uh, 5, sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says, We maintain that a man is justified by his faith apart from the works of the law. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Abraham was justified by his faith. You are justified by your faith. It is through your faith. Faith is the means through which this justification comes to you. Now here's another little theological detail, and I've got to throw this out, because this is important. You might catch this, you might not, but bear with me. Our faith is not the grounds of our justification. Our faith is the condition of our justification. Let me say it again. Faith is the condition of our justification, not the grounds of our justification. Another way of saying it would be this. I am not justified for my faith. I am justified by faith or through faith. In other words, the faith that we have is not a faith which is a meritorious act in God's sight. It is not as if God looks down and waits for us and says, Oh, Osman, he exercised faith. And because he created that faith and ginned up that faith, I then can give him righteousness. I'll trade him his faith for my righteousness. And because he did something good, placed his faith in Christ, therefore I'm going to give him my righteousness. Sort of a quid pro quo exchange. He gives, I give him my faith, he gives me his righteousness, so that my faith ends up becoming the price for my justification. That's not the way faith acts. Anytime you think of your belief or your faith as that which merits your salvation, you have totally misunderstood it. My faith and my belief do not merit my salvation. 
because my faith and my belief are not purely human works that deserve justification. My justification comes not for my faith, but my justification, my righteousness is imputed. It is realized. It is appropriated through faith. Faith is the condition, the vehicle through which we are justified. It is not a meritorious work. That's why no man can boast. The Scripture affirms that the faith that you have, saving faith, is not yours apart from divine grace. It's a gift from God so that nobody can boast. It's been granted to you to believe in Christ. And since the faith that saves you is a divine gift of grace given by God to you, you don't have anything to do with that. You're imputed. You're made righteous by means of that faith. But the faith that you give to God is not something that merits or warrants salvation. Now we've understood what justification is, what imputation is, what that means to us, how that happens to us. It happens through faith. It's because of all of Christ's obedience. Now let me flesh out for you a few implications of what this, of what this is. First of all, since you have been justified, you therefore can never be condemned. Now think about this just for a second. Since you have been justified, you therefore can never be condemned. Why? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We have been justified as a gift of grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. No condemnation now I dread. I will never see the Father's frown. I will never stand before Him and perish. I cannot perish. I cannot ever be condemned because I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's not just that I lack any grounds for God to condemn me. He actually credits to my account all of the righteous deeds of Jesus. All of His obedience. All of His positive righteousness. All of the righteousness that He has and that He is is given to me so that there is not only no grounds for condemnation, but that God is required by divine justice, to treat me with favor. Catch that. God is required by divine justice to treat you with favor because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith. Charles Hodge in his Systematic Theology says this, it is a justification, speaking of justification, it is a declarative act in which God pronounces the sinner just or righteous. That is, declares that the claims of justice so far as the sinner is concerned are satisfied so that he cannot be justly condemned but is in justice entitled to the reward promised or due to perfect righteousness. John Murray says this, when we think of such an act of grace on God's part, we have the answer to our question, how can God justify the ungodly? Isn't that the question we want to know? How can God be just and justify the ungodly? How can He let a guilty sinner go? Here's the answer. The righteousness of Christ is the righteousness of perfect obedience. A righteousness undefiled and undefilable. A righteousness which not only warrants the justification of the ungodly, but one that necessarily elicits and constrains such justification. God cannot but accept into His favor those who are invested with the righteousness of His Son. God is constrained to accept into His favor you because you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He cannot condemn you. James White in his book, The God Who Justifies, which I would highly recommend for your reading, writes this, Christ is the one who has merited eternal life, 
And since His righteousness is imputed to those who are justified, then they too merit eternal life and cannot possibly fail to receive it. You you catch this? God is required to treat you with favor. He must look on you with favor. Why? Because you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And He cannot but do that. He must do that if He's going to be just. And He cannot fail, and He will not fail to treat you with favor, and you will never be condemned because you are clothed in the perfect righteousness of His Son. Do I merit eternal life or eternal reward? Jim Osmond does not. But you know what? Before the bar of God, I plead the merit of somebody else. He merits it on my behalf. And that merit is mine through faith. So that God looks at me and must treat me as if I merit His favor. But not because Jim Osmond is such a great guy and merits anything, but because Jesus Christ merits it. And since His righteousness is mine, God looks upon me just as if I had done all of the righteous and obedient deeds that Jesus did. Second implication of this. Not only can we never be condemned, but second, the righteousness that we have is both pure and perfect. I love this. The righteousness that we have is both pure and perfect. Some Christians live, and this is the mistake I made. I told you about a few weeks ago. When I was a brand new Christian, I made this mistake. I lived as if God had given me a deposit of righteousness that I now had to shape and mold and sort of fashion and and polish up and make it look really good so that I could get into heaven with it. I needed to improve upon it. And so I improved upon it. I thought I was going to improve upon it by all of my moral deeds and all of my righteous acts and all of my acts of service and that I would sort of polish up that righteousness. Some Christians live as if God simply gives them a little bit of righteousness to get them started on the path and then they're going to improve upon it and add upon it through all of their works in their life until they finally get into heaven. But that's not the way it works. The righteousness that I have been given is pure righteousness. It is undefiled and undefilable. And it is a perfect righteousness. There is no room for improvement on the righteousness that I have been given. It cannot be improved upon. And to suggest that I can improve upon that righteousness that's been imputed to me is to suggest that the righteousness of Christ lacks or is deficient. I have a hard time even saying those words. It is to suggest that the righteousness of Christ is in some way deficient. I have been given all of the righteousness of Christ. As the hymn writer says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Clothed in righteousness divine. Perfect. Pure. Undefiled. Undefilable. And listen, because of the righteousness of Christ, all of my sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven. They have all been forgiven. All of my sin was laid on Christ. And I am as righteous today in the sight of God as I will ever be. Furthermore, you are as righteous if you placed your faith in Christ. You are as righteous today in the sight of God as Jesus Christ is. And you are as righteous today as Jesus Christ ever was or ever will be. 
It's perfect. And it's pure. And no sin that I have ever committed or ever could commit or ever would commit will ever tarnish that righteousness, diminish that righteousness, or take away that righteousness. And you say, hold on, Jim. Can we then sin with license? Right? You're telling me all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Hey, I just got a blank check made out to immorality. I can spend that baby for the rest of my life, and I don't ever have to worry about losing my righteousness. I can live like the devil and skate right through to heaven. Is that true? No, we're going to deal with that in just a second, but one more thing I have to give you before we get to that implication, and it is this. Since I have the righteousness of Christ, that justification that I have is permanent. It's not only pure and perfect, it is permanent. Justification is a once-for-all declaration by God in His courtroom before my judgment day even comes that I am innocent and that I am righteous. And that is permanent. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be lost. I'm not justified today and then not justified tomorrow and then justified the next day and then not justified the next day. I don't gain the righteousness of Christ and then lose it and gain it and lose it. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. It doesn't tarnish. I don't polish it up. I don't, I don't put it in a box. I don't do anything with it. It's, I'm completely righteous and that can never be taken from me. That can never be taken from you. It is a permanent declaration of God, innocent, before your judgment day has even arrived, innocent, and not just innocent, righteous in my sight. As if you had fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law and done everything that Jesus had done, all of His righteousness and all of His obedience, yours. And it cannot be taken away. It is permanent. Absolutely permanent. There's nothing you can ever do to lose that. Nothing you can ever do to sacrifice that. You think that the righteousness that you've been given is something that you have to prop up through your feverish activity? You think it's something you've got to maintain? You think the righteousness of Christ is something that God credits and takes away, credits and takes away, credits and takes away, depending on how you're doing that day? You think you can ever lose it? Friends, you can't lose that righteousness. Some people ask me, Jim, maybe you say you can't lose your salvation, but what if I want to give mine back? What if I want to give my salvation back? Righteousness of Christ is not yours to give to anybody. It's not a trading card. It's not a commodity. You don't take it and give it away. What did you do to receive it? You didn't do anything to receive it. It's not by works. It's by grace. The righteousness that we're talking about is not yours to do anything with at all. It's somebody else's righteousness that's been credited to your account. And once credited, it is always there and it will never be taken away. It's permanent. Listen, if I haven't been clear on this in the past, listen up. A genuine born-again believer in Jesus Christ cannot lose their salvation, period. Why? Because you have been clothed in a righteousness that is not yours. And you can't lose that. Justification is not a process. I'm not in the process of being justified. I am justified, period. For all of eternity. Freely, fully, forever. I am justified. I stand righteous in the sight of God just as Jesus Christ does, and I can never lose that. To suggest that a Christian can lose that righteousness is to somehow impugn the righteousness itself or the declaration of God itself. Because I'm justified by faith, because my justification is the righteousness of Christ, I cannot lose that. It's permanent. There's nothing that I can do that is going to take that away, and there's nothing that I can do that's going to change that. 
the notion that a believer can lose their salvation, if there's, I don't know if there's anybody here that still believes that or does believe that, but let me ask you this question. What then do you make of imputed righteousness? This is the heart of the gospel itself. What is the doctrine of imputed righteousness? God has credited to your account everything that Christ is. He has to look on you with favor. And that's not done over and over and over and over again. If it were, as if I'm justified now, and then in five minutes you're going to have to be justified again because you're going to think in yourself that man, this sermon is going too long and your mind's thinking about something else and all of a sudden you've, you've sinned here in the presence of everything. You have to be justified again. And then on your way home, you're going to get mad at the driver in front of you and you have to be justified all over again. And this afternoon, you're going to get short with your spouse and you have to be justified all over. Before you go to bed tonight, you're going to have to be justified again. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning, you're going to have to be justified all over again. That's not it. It's not how justification works. Justification is never repeated. Having been justified By a gift of His grace. And that is it, friends. So does this give us a license for sin? Here's the fourth implication. I've only got five. You'd be thankful to know that. This is the fourth implication. It is actually an incentive to my sanctification. It is an incentive to my sanctification. It makes me want to walk in holiness, to know what I have been given and what I have been clothed in. It doesn't give me a license to sin. I don't wake up each morning and say, how can I malign and defame and blaspheme the name of that great God who gave me all that righteousness today? Thought never crosses my mind. You know what I want to do? I want to display the righteousness of Jesus Christ in how I act and everything that I do all day long to a watching world. I never once think, how can I blaspheme His name today? How can I do that? Why would you do that? Saved people don't think that way. Redeemed people don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I take advantage of grace today? Now, it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate sort of objection that somebody might raise. That's why the Apostle Paul addresses the same issue in Romans 6 after spending a whole chapter in Romans 5 talking about imputed righteousness. Because the people in Paul's day said, well, Paul, if that's true, if righteousness of Christ is imputed to me on the basis of faith, then I can live however I want and do whatever I want. No, no, the redeemed don't think that way. I actually had somebody in a counseling session say to me, Jim, since I know I'm elect, I'm chosen before the foundation of the world, And since I know I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, and since I know that once saved, always saved, I don't have to worry about sin. I'm just living the way I want to live. And I know that when I die, I might not get any rewards, but I'm not going to hell. And I can just live however I want, and I'm not going to repent of my sin, and I don't need to, because I'm elect, and because I've been saved, ask Jesus into my heart, and because once saved, always saved. And I said to him, saved people don't think that way. And the fact that you think that way should be the number one indication to you that you have no reason to have any confidence at all that you are actually forgiven and saved. People who have experienced the grace of God, who have tasted of His righteousness, who have been clothed in His righteousness, do not think that way at all. Because God not only declares us righteous, but He gives me brand new affections as part of regeneration and being saved. I have new affections now. Now I want to serve, I want to honor Christ, and I want to manifest His glory. I don't want to blaspheme the name of the One who gave me all of that righteousness. So can you just sin like the devil and still go to heaven? If you think that way, and you walk out of here thinking, hey, I'm clothed in righteousness, I'm elect, God's died for me, He gave me all the righteousness of Christ, I can go out and I can live like the devil, and I'm going to go to heaven. If that's the way you leave here, then leave here understanding this. You have no reason at all to think that you're saved. You're deceived, not saved. You're trusting in the wrong thing. Saved people don't think that way. Saved people don't abuse grace. Saved people don't take advantage of that righteousness. 
Saved people marvel in that righteousness and they want to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. They want to press forward to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and they want to walk in that righteousness. Fifth implication. Not only is it an incentive to my sanctification, but it is also a tremendous incentive to prayer. See, friends, I wake up in the morning and I sit down and I read my Bible and I got a whole day's worth of activities ahead of me or when I sit down at night and I'm getting ready to close out my day, in the back of my mind are all of these all of these failings, there's ways in which I've failed. Even before I have my breakfast, I know I've failed him. And here's the truth that we come back to again and again. No matter how I view myself as frail and as, as big of a failure and as rotten of a sinner as I am, no matter how I view myself, I understand that in the presence of God, he doesn't see that. What he sees is his son. And he sees not only the innocence of his son and the sinlessness of his son, but he sees all of the obedience of his son. Therefore, we come boldly before the throne of grace, not arrogantly, but confidently, with humility, with reverence, understanding that our access to God has been purchased for us by another. And we stand in His presence just as Christ would stand in His presence, perfectly righteous, just like that. But that doesn't prompt in us arrogance. It prompts in us confidence. So that whatever I might think of myself, I come before the Lord and I understand He does not impute to me all of my sin and my unrighteousness. Instead, He sees me as perfectly righteous. That's an incentive to prayer. And I can come before the Lord and I can ask whatever I know is in accordance with His will and I can trust Him and I can walk with Him and I can pray boldly and I can pray with confidence and I can come often because I never have to worry when am I walking in today into the throne of grace and how does the Lord see me? You know how the Lord sees you? As perfectly righteous. Martin Luther got in trouble for a lot of things in his day. One of the things he got into trouble for was a, an illustration that he liked to use. In and around the farms around Germany where Martin Luther lived, they would have, much like they do in some places today, big manure piles where they would heap up all of the dung in big piles and they would save it throughout the year and then spring they would sprinkle it or fall they would sprinkle it out over the, the farms and the farmlands for fertilizer. And Martin Luther once gave an illustration that I think is an apt one. He said, as you walk around Germany in the fall before they spread out the fertilizer, there is all the these heaps of dung that just stink to high heaven. Cow manure, horse manure, chicken manure, and all pig manure, all of that good stuff. Massive heaps of dung that just stink. And the stench is disgusting and all the fields stink. You ever live next to a, a dairy farm? You get some idea of what that smells like and the putridness of it. Martin Luther said, we are like those pile of dungs. But the righteousness of Christ is like the first snowfall of winter. That when it comes down, it settles over everything so you can't even see the dung. You don't smell the dung. You don't even realize the dung is there. All you see is the perfect white blanket that covers everything. That's the righteousness of Christ. Justification does not change my heart. Regeneration changes my heart. Justification does not make me walk holy. Sanctification makes me walk holy. Justification simply changes my position in the standing in the sight of God. Justification is where God takes the white blanket of Christ's righteousness and He puts it over top of me so that He doesn't see dung. He doesn't see the dung. Now I ask you this morning, are you trusting in the robes of your own self-righteousness for salvation? Or are you trusting in the righteousness which is an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is foreign to you, a righteousness that's through Jesus Christ from God on the basis of faith? Because all of us will either stand before God clothed in our own self-righteousness or we will stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're all dunghills. 
Every person sitting here is a dunghill. But on the basis of faith in Christ, God throws the blanket of Christ's righteousness over you so that He doesn't see that. And since He has clothed you in the righteousness of Christ, friends, it is pure, it is perfect, it is permanent, it is an incentive to holy living, it is everything you need to plead your case before the bar of God. You have been declared innocent before your judgment day ever came. So that when you stand before God and He says to you, why should I let you into heaven? What do you have to say to me that might make me cause you to come into my gates of paradise and of heaven? You know what our answer is? I have nothing, but somebody else did everything necessary for me and He gave all of that to me through faith. So the merit that I plead, the innocence that I plead, and the righteousness that I plead is not my own. It all belongs to somebody else, and I get it through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have clothed us with Your righteousness divine. We thank You that it is pure, that it is permanent, that it is holy, that it is everything that is adequate and sufficient to atone for our sin, to put our sin away from You, to cause You to look upon us with favor. And we thank You that in justice now You treat us just like You would the Lord Jesus. And just like You ever will, we thank You that we stand before You as righteous as we'll ever be. Perfectly so. We still feel like sinners. We know that we sin. We know that we're dunghills. But You, God, have clothed us with a righteousness that is infinite and pure and holy. And we thank You. We thank You that You've done it through faith. We thank You that we cannot work for it. And we thank You that You, by Your grace, have made Yourself known to us and have made us righteous in Your sight. What a wonderful salvation and what a wonderful and awesome God you are. And we pray, O oh God, that you would make us to live in accordance with that righteousness and to be driven to be pure and holy in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.